Hi, I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland. And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States. Through in-depth interviews, personal stories, and psychological exploration, we probe the gender landscape within contemporary culture. And we consider the implications of prioritizing personal identity over other aspects of the self. This is the thinking person's take on gender. Join us as we look at gender from a wider lens. Hi. How are you, Sasha? I'm doing great. How are you, good. Stella? I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's it's always great to have a, a little twosome with you, my darling. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's nice because we've had so many amazing guests lately. Amazing. We, yeah, yeah, it's been great. But we we always love our solo episodes. So we do. Uh, we do. Yeah, what's going on with you? How is life? Very good. The sun has arrived in Ireland and it's been really magical the last few weeks. Just really, really, really lovely. And I've had a I've had a nice time. I'm not working as hard as I had been, which is a delight. Yes. And important. Yeah, it's it's very important. It feels like the last year has just been absolutely intense. I know. And finally, things have just kind of just quietened down. We we released a directory of therapists on Beyond Trans. So Beyond Trans is like a sister website to Genspect and we released this directory. So that was a big project and that's That's huge. Out. Oh, thank God. Yeah. yeah. So things like that are kind of, you know, that feeling of things are getting done. Yes. Yes. It's a for lovely sure. feeling. For sure. <laughs> Rather totally than you're scrambling that. and you're going, well, ah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. Well, that's great to hear. And so the beyond trans therapists are all either low cost or no cost to work with no, you transitioners, right? Or what is it? Not, not quite. Um, what it is, is these are therapists who are willing to work with people who've been harmed by medical transition. Okay. So often detransitioners. And some of them charge a reduced fee, but not all of them. And we mm -hmm. subsidize the fees. We, we, oh, we subsidize. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's a really good opportunity for therapists who are afraid to work in gender, and there are many of them. Mm -hmm. Well, if you work with a detransitioner, you're doing something good. You're doing something like, you know, and you're learning about the entire story. You're yeah. learning the whole thing. So it's a very good way to get to know this world. Because I just find so many therapists, they're frightened to work with gender. Yeah. They just think, I, I, I don't know it. Mm -hmm. Well, you mm -hmm. will know it because you know trauma. And so if yeah. you work with a detransitioner, you'll, you'll hear the whole story and you'll be, I would argue, be very comfortable because you'd be working with trauma. Yeah, that's so, right. It's yeah. interesting because I just read a blog post on the Ghetto website recently where a therapist was describing just that, that for so long he was nervous to work with gender-related yeah. issues in the normal way that therapists work with any kind of distress. And he said something along the lines of, you know, I gave myself permission to treat this client like I would treat any other client. So I think that's yeah. kind of what you're alluding to. Well, I, I think actually we've inadvertently hit upon a big deal here. I think therapists are frightened out of their yeah. words, not only because of conversion therapy bans, but also because they think, what is this? I, yeah. I'll go wrong because it's they think Twitter is reflective of what it would be like in therapy. It's not at all. I, know. I was only talking to a therapist recently who he had just started working with um, teenagers with gender distress. And he's like, oh, my God, I, I can totally do this work. They're lovely. I, like, yeah, I know. They're lovely. I know. They're lovely. I know. I know. And he was he was he was stunned about it yes. and I was like wow people yeah. all these poor kids aren't getting therapists the parents are tearing their hair out looking for therapists mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the therapists are staying far away from this which yeah, is yeah and I'm hoping that will change I mean I think we've seen even in the ghetto directory more and more therapists joining I imagine in yeah. the beyond trans directory yeah. you have a lot of therapists engaging so I think that's fantastic and I've seen a few new organizations, the Open Therapy Institute or something. Oh, yeah. Lo it's great to see just new organizations. Everything is changing. It just feels yeah. like this world is really changing. People are realizing, OK, gender is the new kid on the block. It's arrived. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And we need we can handle this. Anybody yeah. who knows anything about working in the field who, who's moderately experienced should be able to handle it there's just yeah. jargon there's some jargon and some concepts you need to learn i remember being very frightened working in it 
And yeah. you you were my guiding light, Sasha. Oh, that's so interesting. I remember you being like a celebrity from your channel. <laughs> but you did something recently with, with Alistair too. What have oh, you been yeah. up to with him? Um, on my Substack, I have a parent Substack, and what we did was it was kind of really interesting. There was a lot of talk among the parents because at the Killarney conference, there was a, a basically a conversation went on among um, a, a male panel. I was ironically, I wasn't even in the room when it was on, but there was a few people in the panel. People like Marcus Evans, who's amazing, the mm-hmm, psychoanalyst, mm-hmm. Corinna Cohn, the trans woman, and a couple of other people. And they were basically talking about parents and they kind of alluded to the lack of presence of the fathers. And the parents kind of really got very agitated about this Mm. and very distressed that we had. And it was kind of ironic because we got a lot of emails from mothers defending fathers and we didn't get any emails from fathers defending Defending themselves. themselves. (laughs) But um, we decided what we would do is. Could we do a bit of an analysis? Could, me, could Alistair come onto the substock and could we talk about what do parents need to know? Because we felt parents were almost going into um, their own silos, telling yeah. themselves a story, a narrative. And that yeah. we thought, well, it might be helpful to know that there are things that maybe parents could ha- benefit from knowing. And that's what we called it, what parents, what we believe parents needed to know. And was just trying to talk about the Yeah, I, I felt it was a very productive session. And I reckon Alistair will come back and we'll do another one because it felt like we were being very practical and very honest that there are things parents could know that not just about, you know, the rates and the this and the that actually yeah. about psychology around the parenting yes. yeah. could be interesting. So it was really good. How's your subscribe star these days? Uh, that's pretty huge. I, I want to come back to that. But my subscribe star is going really well. So my parent membership group, um, I've been kind of, uh, I'm working on a video right now that I think I'll call what's in a name. Okay. Because I've been thinking about the way young people who are questioning their identity are so quick to want to change their name. And I think on a surface pass, the name is not as big of a deal as the pronouns. But I'm really interested in the way kids who grew up on screens with usernames and avatars are almost treating their real life identity like a virtual identity. And so I'm, I'm kind of thinking about this and doing a deep dive into some, some research about this. Um, I've been looking at like influencers on YouTube and TikTok, how they talk about name changes. And so I'm, I'm going to be doing a, a topic video about this. I do these monthly topic videos and it's going to include an analysis as well as like some practical advice for how parents can engage with their kids on this because kids see this in a very black and white way. It's just a name. What's the harm? It hurts nobody. That's the way they frame it. But to a parent, you know, the name you chose for your child is a huge deal. So there's a a big divide between like how flippant kids are and then how meaningful this is for the parents. So that's what I'll be exploring in an upcoming video. And it's interesting. I think it's super interesting to think about. It is. I I come from um, my my two parents both had very different attitudes to names just randomly. So my mother was called either one of these three names, depending on where she knew you from. So she was, she is either called Kathleen, Catherine or Kay. And it could be, and she's known from different walks of life, if you follow me, as one of those names. So she could be any of them, if you follow me, Mm. Catherine, Kathleen or Kay. And off she goes and she doesn't give a damn who calls her what. You could call her anything, you know what I mean? Just, and my dad was the complete opposite. He was called Paddy by his parents. He hated it. He'd kill you if you called him Paddy. And he was called Pat. And that's what he had to be called. And he didn't answer to Patrick or Paddy. He was utterly neurotic. And it just makes me think, aren't people different about their names? That's super interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, it's interesting because those examples are actual variations on the name it's kind of like an you yeah, know, yeah i think it's everywhere like dick is a short name for richard and yeah. patty is a short name for patrick i will presume yeah, right? totally name totally yeah yeah but but the way kids are changing their name now is like you go from being a samantha to like aiden. an aiden 
you know, <laughs> which is, there's no actual correlation between those names. Um, and, and there's something about the way young people use the name to reinvent themselves, which is a normal developmental process, but in a very interesting way. It's like the facade changes and you believe that will create some sort of a life transformation when really, I would argue, you have to transform from the inside out, not the other way around. So I, I bet, think it's but, just so interesting. Yeah. I remember, yeah. I remember Lionel Shriver changed her name from something like Margaret to Lionel when she was 12. When she was 12? Yeah. That's very young. Did. Oh, that's, and Lionel, I'm going to look Lionel, that up. Yeah, Lionel is a male name. Yes. And she chose it. It was something like Margaret. It was something very ordinary. And yeah, and she changed it to Lionel when she was 12. And obviously oh, she's an unusual person. It totally. Yes. Totally. Margaret Ann. She went yeah. from Margaret Ann to Lionel. <laughs> I wonder if she was inspired so by Lionel Richie or something. That's like so interesting. <laughs> okay, I don't well, think enough so, about that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. move on. Okay. So um, today... Today, yes. we are talking about something very special. Yeah. We're talking about our book. Yes. Is Absolutely. My Child Trans a Guide for Parents? Yes. Co-written by you, me, and our lovely co-author, Lisa Marciano. So we are so thrilled to be sharing this book with the world. And I think it was really just a matter of time. This was an inevitability, wasn't it? Yeah, it's so funny when you when you think back, you know, the way like you meet people on Facebook, because that's where I met you and Lisa. And little did we know, little did we know where we were going. It's just so because you kind of sometimes you dismiss these friendship on online. Like I had no idea who you were, but I knew you were you were treating ROGD children. Mm -hmm. And I found that so fascinating. And I, I was doing a piece of research and. You were the really, you know, the bright shining star that I wanted to talk to. And it was oh. Lisa. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was so in awe of you. I was so oh. in awe of you. It's embarrassing. And uh, Lisa was the person I first met. And she'd written yeah. something about Carl Jung. And I was like, oh, my God, this woman's a genius. Oh, God, yeah. I, I've, got, yeah. I've got to talk with her. And it kind of started with me just liking everything she kind of said. And then the odd little mm -hmm. comment, like, dare I talk with the with the intellectuals and say a little yeah. comment? <laughs> wow, it feels so long ago. And it must have been 2019, I suppose. It must have been 2018, 2019 that I got to know you, as I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't know how we gravitated towards each other. I'm very fuzzy about that. If you follow, how did we become the kind of the trio, trio? that we became? Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure how that happened. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think one of Lisa's incredible skills is oh, yeah. helping people, people connect with each other. Yeah. I mean, she's really good at yeah. that. So she was the first person I connected with as well from the gender world. She was the first person for many me people. Yes, yeah. yes, she really was. She really was. And as well as that, I think... Now I think, now I'm pausing to think about it. How many meetings I attended in 2019 and 2020. Oh, I'd yeah. say we, I'd say we saw each other at many, many Zooms. I'd imagine. Yeah, for sure. For sure we did. And I mean, for those yeah. who aren't as familiar with Lisa's work, she's an amazing Jungian analyst who has a very robust, thriving life as a psychoanalyst outside of gender, but she was one of the first people to really connect the dots about the social mediated elements of ROGD, of gender dysphoria amongst youth, of peer groups coming out in clusters. And she wrote some amazing pieces from the perspective of a Jungian analyst about what we can understand regarding mass psychogenic illness and psychic Perfect. epidemics yeah. and how that can help shed some light on what's happening in the kind of trans youth culture. So she's, she's absolutely brilliant. She's an amazing writer and amazing thinker. And she does so also with a lot of compassion and balance, which I think can be hard to find in this world. I mean, there are a lot of brilliant thinkers but she brings a lot of care as well to the yeah. to the story. So yeah, we connected pretty early 
and just became, I mean, I think we all share an intellectual curiosity about this subject, which makes us pretty obsessive about the topic. We, we love <laughs> In we a very love, healthy way. In a very, we are so healthy, everybody. We're healthy. <laughs> no, but I mean, we, we love to use the psychological lens to examine these things. We're fascinated by, you know, the family dynamics involved and the cultural elements. So we connected pretty early and really just I, became... I just checked. I just checked our WhatsApp group. We've got a little WhatsApp group and it began in June 2020. Ba-bum! <laughs> and so wow. Yeah. And, but I mean, we were well connected with each other before By that. Then. But yes, yeah. I think that's when our trio of, you know, middle Healthy of the night, obsession. gender raving, texting <laughs> <laughs> happened. And I mean, since then, we've worked on so many projects together. We, of course, you gotcha. and I have developed this podcast. Mm. We started the Geta, you know, therapist organization yeah. together along with some other colleagues. And we started Wider Lens Consulting, which is um, our way of connecting parents in real life. So we run parenting retreats through that company. And I think we've always known that there are a dizzying number of books for parents who want to help their kids transition, right? There's no shortage of affirmative guidebooks for parents, but there are very few books written for parents about how to actually encourage critical thinking, how to slow down this train, how to, you know, be cautious about the medical interventions and focus on the attachment first. So that's why we wrote this book. We really wanted to to give parents a different type of guidebook, a different type of resource. Um, for Yeah, I, I completely agree. And for me, I think all of us, one of the reasons we connected was because we're all deluged with emails from parents, frantic yes. with worry, long, detailed, harrowing, devastating emails that come in and you're just going, no way we could handle this number of parents like they're just they're coming, 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 coming. Yeah. And they go to our, our, our parenting sites and all that. But we were always aware. I think it was always in the background that there needs to be a book to kind of be a kind of like a HQ of this is our mm. thinking <laughs> here it all is and it's it's a meaty book by the way it's there's plenty in it it's 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 not a short book but to kind of give the entire scenario to a parent from beginning to end this is how we're thinking about gender and this is mm -hmm. how we think these are the ways we think parents can help kids like you say there's tons out there for the affirming absolutely shelf loads and there's very few for the parents who are thinking what is driving this what's behind yeah. this what, yeah. why, where did this come from and what yeah. am I missing because I seem to be missing something so so that's why we wrote it I don't know when we first had the idea but I think it was always hovering in the background really as as an idea and yeah. I'm I'm so proud that we got it together because honestly we're so busy and it would have been so, so easy not to do this. I know. <laughs> and it, it, it yeah. has been, it has been a labor of love. It has been difficult. It, it has been kind of, we had to kind of push ourselves to make the time to get this book out. And I think it was only that it was so incredibly necessary that we made sure, yeah, this, this has to be prioritized. Whatever else yeah. is going on, this has to be prioritized. And um, yeah, and now it's coming yeah. out. It feels momentous for our, our, our lives. It feels momentous. It, it's really huge. And I mean, I, I'm so proud of the book because we cover a huge range of topics. Frankly, it's both full and comprehensive. And also, even after the writing process, we would be texting one another. Oh my God, we didn't say enough about this or, oh no, we should have covered this other thing in greater detail. So we, we know that there's so much to say about this topic, but we are very proud. I mean, the structure of the book is great because we use a combination of kind of composite stories, right? To kind of yeah. give an example, like put a human touch to these because we hear ROGD, we hear statistics, but we really wanted to humanize the stories that that we've heard from families. We also have sidebars from experts in the field, yeah. whether it's 
sexologists, researchers, uh, therapists, and parents. We have a lot of parents who offered very generously to write sidebars that were their real stories about like the things they did to either cope as a parent with what's going on or help their child desist or, you know, a variety of different experiences. And I think the thing that I'm, I think most excited about is giving parents a really practical guide. Like this is a guidebook. It is a strategic book to help parents kind of get reconnected with their instincts, orient themselves towards, you know, like how to actually engage with your child in an effective way. Um, And we cover the gamut from parents who have really young children, you know, like prepubescent, all the way up to parents who have adult kids who have moved out of the home and have transitioned. So if you are a parent of an ROGD kit at any age, in any situation, there will be something in here that resonates for you. And it's not, yeah, you're dead right. And it's not just the ROGD because we do kind of touch on there is, there's a certain child like me who who would have had gender distress as a kid. And honestly, they're getting, inadvertently, they're getting wrapped into the ROGD pipeline because of the internet. Mm -hmm. In a way that wouldn't have happened in any other generation. So there's a whole new type of gender distress, sadly, gender distress kid that is emerging. So we give attention to that as well. We hope you're enjoying this episode of our podcast. We work very hard to maintain high quality content for the show. To take an even deeper dive and support the show, join our listener community for access to exclusive content, practical tools and resources supporting gender and identity exploration. We're so grateful to our sponsor, Genspect, an international organization which offers an alternative to WPATH, providing a range of education, resources, and supports to anyone impacted by gender distress Genspect unites many different organizations globally and gives voice to thousands of previously untold stories. For more info, visit genspect.org. And thank you to our sponsor, Rhyme. Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics is a non-profit organization dedicated to improving long-term care for gender-variant individuals. Visit rethinkime.org to learn more. And now back to the conversation... I, I, I love the title Is My Child Trans and I, I, we start the book with the chapter Is My Child Trans and we talk about, we go straight in. This is a very, I think it's a very honest book. We go straight yeah. in saying, okay, here you go. Some people believe that there's a concept that there's some sort of trans in you and it's called gender identity theory and it's within you somewhere and you can't put your finger on it. It's unfalsifiable, but it's there. While other people have a more developmental model of understanding, and that would be us, where we think some people use different coping mechanisms to to adapt to their life challenges. And mm-hmm. it can it can it can be channeled into gender distress and it can be very mm-hmm. intense. And this is how we understand the, the gender distressed child or the gender distressed young people. So we go straight at that because yes. we, we were thinking, I thought it was a good idea when I would sell praises, no praise, but like <laughs> what people will be Googling when they're late at night, absolutely yeah, yeah. blindsided by an elaborate announcement from their child that seems to have come out of nowhere and the, the parents are going, what? What's going on? Mm-hmm. What is this? Mm-hmm. I thought you mm-hmm. were, mm-hmm. I thought you were twelve and pansexual and you'd never been kissed, but suddenly you're trans and you're talking about binders and you you you've suddenly become an expert. It's so frightening for those parents. They feel they have been hit by a truck, and we think we know they're googling late at night, going, "What's going on?" And mm-hmm. so that's why we we thought we'll 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 start with that. We'll start with kind of there is two kind of main schools of thought here let's explore them yeah Yeah. and I think I mean in my experience I think that really helps parents to ground themselves in a way that they can feel more confident in because I mean something we address a lot in the book is the lack of confidence that parents feel around this issue just similarly to what we were talking about with therapists and I think you know there's a non-pathologizing way to to understand a young person's distress that is it's not dismissive of the young person it is not cruel it's not mocking it's like this is a coping strategy that is an attempt at adaptation just like you said i think that's a beautiful way to put it 
So then we go into chapter two where we explain ROGD, right? Which is this new cohort of kids. And like you said, there's a difference between childhood onset gender dysphoria and rapid onset gender dysphoria. But we we kind of explain that. We talk about the study. We talk about the kind of co-occurring issues that that can happen with ROGD. Then we and we, we, go we in. also I, w- one part I really liked about that chapter was we go into the psychology of social contagion and explain yeah. that just because social contagion is happening doesn't mean this is a, a diluted um, little feeling. Social contagion can be and just because it's almost like COVID just because you caught it because of contagion doesn't mean it doesn't wallop you. <laughs> If you follow me, like it's almost like people think because it's a social contagion, it's not as not real or it's not as deep or it's not as worrying. Ah, sure. She's just going along with the crowd. It's like, don't underestimate social contagion. You know, like social contagion is well established among suicide. It's well established for anorexia. Social contagion is a very serious issue. And so I yeah. think we do that nicely in that chapter that we say, take social contagion seriously. It has been <sighs> seen in other walks of life. And I think and I can understand it. I only met a parent recently and they were basically saying, listen, this is all because of the friend. We don't need to worry too much because it's about the friend. And I'm like, I don't know about that. Do you know what I mean? Just because it's all about the friend doesn't mean it can't. And people often say it about siblings when one kid comes out and then the sibling comes out. They just think, ah, this this is just... And I would be going, oh, I'd take it seriously. Sorry, yeah. but I would. No, yeah. that's such a good point. because yeah. and, and I think wrongly, a lot of young people who are experiencing gender dysphoria, they hear social contagion and they think, people don't believe me. Yeah. I'm the real deal. I really have this pain. I really have these feelings. So I think it's so crucial to raise that because we want to kind of contextualize. We hear the word social contagion all the time, but it is not meant to be dismissive or it's not meant to imply a lack of severity of the distress. So that's a great point. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So then we go into sexuality which we could yeah, have written a book on <laughs> i know and um, we 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 do have a, a sidebar from lisa Littman in the yes, chapter right. if my memory serves me correct so it's it's great to get the experts the actual experts you know the way you feel like we're so immersed in it it's so great to actually get people who who you know she coined the term rapid yes. agenda dysphoria yes. it's five yes. years later and her reflections upon it it's it's very very interesting and to see that. But yeah, sorry, I was jumping in. Sexuality, wow, could have been a book. Yeah, it was a lot. I mean, we, yeah. we tried to cover the contemporary understanding of, of these various sexuality labels. We also talked about what does the research and literature tell us about oh, yeah. sexuality and sexual orientation and the overlap, if any, with gender-related distress. So we really kind of we, we have Paul Vasey wrote a sidebar for us. We have a lot of experts kind of chiming in about sexuality there. And we really try to help parents understand how these things are related. And, and you also do a great job of looping in queer theory and these contemporary academic ideas about mm. boundaries and categories and how that impacts like some of the new, I guess, what parents regard as kind of like bizarre manifestations of their mm. kids gender presentation so we we talk about that anything that was, else about yeah. sexuality well, that, that, <laughs> that was one of the challenges of the book that there's a huge amount of backstory and theory yeah. that you can choose to get into or you can say what why am i reading about queer theory get out of my way this is not to do with my kid so I thought it was a very clever idea. I think it was the editor. Somebody came up with the idea of stick them in appendix in the back so that you can talk about it to your heart's content. And some people will really be very, very interested. And some yeah. people will go, OK, that that's the theory. I can live without it if you follow me. Mm-hmm. I, I could imagine, for example, if me and my husband we're, we're dealing with this. I'd go straight for the appendix and want to know everything. And my husband would be going, why am I reading this? Sorry, what's this got yeah. to do with anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's your style, or, like, you know. Or if a parent has a child like you who kind of organically, naturally had a gender experience emerge in early childhood, they may not, queer theory may not be as relevant to them. However, 
queer theory has definitely impacted the way organizations, institutions, yeah. schools, therapists, doctors conceptualize gender identity as a thing. So I think it's important to know. I, I think it is too. I think it, there's also an, an anti-family streak that has happened within this whole world that is very frightening for families that are thinking we're very loving and we're very connected as parents yeah. and children. So that'll get us through. And then you meet them a year later and they're like, I underestimated what was going on online. I underestimated. Like, I remember somebody saying, she's up there in her bedroom being taken away from me, if you follow me. Mm. You know what I mean? That it was being her lovely relationship with her child was being polluted upstairs in the bedroom. And there was kind of nothing she could do about it. Well, you know, obviously there are. and That's what we wrote about but <laughs> but there was uh, this consciousness of yeah. the, the forces can be very, they really do alienate parents. And I wouldn't yeah. underestimate that. So I, I think that's yeah. important. And we do address, you know, porn. And it's so tricky dealing with your child's sexuality. It is such a tricky, it tricky. Autogynophilia and all, all, you know, the whole sissy porn. And those, there's so many kind of aspects that make people go, do I have to read about this? And you don't. I I know a few mm-hmm. parents are like, I've, I'm over it. I can't read about it. And you don't. But yeah. some parents really need to learn about that because they yeah. don't know about it and they need to learn a little bit about it. And I mean, in addition to giving the background, we also offer really tangible, practical advice for like how to talk to your children about pornography. And we kind of yeah. borrow from some of the best um, organizations out there. Like, for example, we referenced Fight the New Drug, which is a, a group oh, that... Yeah teaches parents and young people about porn in a non-pathologizing way, completely secular, has nothing to do with morality. And we give parents like really practical advice on like how to help your kid develop better habits around these sorts of things. So it's really, again, practical and tangible. And then we go into alternatives to affirmation. Mm. You know, if you're a parent who's got a gender questioning kid, whether they started before puberty or after, you're probably reading Affirm, Affirm, Affirm. So we wanted to lay out what are some actual things families can do if they're not sure that affirm, affirmation is really the right thing for them. And we give some kind of principles and strategies and kind of steps that you can take if you want to be loving and stay engaged, but avoid literally confirming your child's new identity. I'm confirming being the word. I think so mm-hmm. many people think... It's affirmative or, or nothing, if you follow me. Well, that's why I was so pleased with that chapter. That it's like, no, 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 there's loads of things you can do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Affirming is just one thing that arrived. It's, it's, it's new on the block. We, we've managed our children's distress for thousands of years. And suddenly affirmative is the only thing you can do. Like it's, it's, it's farcical and it's only, what, 10, 12 years old as a, as a thing for gender. Really, you know yeah. what I mean? I know yes. it's... In, yes. in small corners and so yeah the alternatives what what i like about that chapter as well is it's very practical it's like here you go here's a few things you can do um yeah. here's a few options and this mightn't be for you but another one will be for you try yeah. you know read about them and see what suits you know so good and, and this is where the parent sidebars were really great because parents yeah. were able to offer their actual stories of like how they managed this with their own child and what happened with their child and where things went and you know decisions they made and how they thought through those decisions so i i love the affirmations chapter because it also includes some real life stories and you know the next chapter is social transition which as, as we've talked about on this show, and I think it's so important, like you just alluded to, it's the new kid on the block. For the, for the entire history in the literature of young people who might be questioning their gender or having distress about their gender, socially transitioning them is really a brand new psychosocial intervention, totally. which has um, really serious drawbacks. It might have some benefits in terms of appeasing a child in the moment, but when it comes to the long-term outcomes, there are very serious implications that we think parents need to understand. And I'm just kind of thinking about another reason we wrote this book. I'm always shocked and I've become less shocked, but it's always shocking when I consult with a family who says, we went to a gender clinic and when I ask them, what did you learn there? Or what did the doctor say? Or what information did they provide? 
it's so lacking in clarity it's lacking in long-term facts and so part of the reason we also stuck in like information about social transition and medical interventions is because you're not going to get this information unfortunately from a lot of gender clinics that's such a good point that's not fair if you're trying to make a decision about your child's health and long-term outcome it's not fair to not be given all the facts yeah and it's so often the case and I, i don't want to kind of be you know, denigrate the other side, but it's just so often I meet parents who say, I'm clueless. I went to all their workshops and they basically coasted over the things that I was really interested in, such as puberty blockers and the impact of them, what would actually happen. And it was, it was kind of coasted over and into kind of bland, love your child. Your child knows who she is. Let your child lead. I was like, but what does even that mean? Like, uh, what, what, mm. what, actually get, get me some detail. And so I, I think it's really, really important to kind of honor that feeling of, we all know that feeling that you're given some trite phrases that actually are covering a huge amount. And, you know, yeah. somebody, let's, for, for example, and I know it's a kind of specific example, but the next chapter we do social transition, then we go into medical transition, but we go into the detail. This is what social yeah. transition is. These are a few options of what might happen. These are a few options of how you might deal with it. You know, you go your way, but like here are alternatives, here are options. And now this is medical transition. And these are the details that you need to know. And I don't think like I have read so many, so many more than I should have pro affirmative books mm. around gender. And they just coast over that. I've just finished a book. And she said, you know, um, and so we made sure to, you know, harvest the eggs or something like that so that future fertility wouldn't be affected. Boom. We'll go no more into that one sentence. And it's like, whoa, that sentence was massive. (laughs) I don't know what you did with eggs and harvesting and freezing and all that. Mm -hmm. But that is actually a massive sentence that could be chapters long. But that got yeah. one sentence in the entire book. Yeah. And that cha- that sentence would have meant masses of money, masses of intervention and thought and all sorts of things going down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I find, that's one thing that's really notable about uh, the affirmatives. There's a lack of detail and a presumption of love your kid, you know, let, what will be will be. Just roll with it. Um, you mm-hmm. know, science is changing quickly. We'll get solutions when we get there. That's the kind of thing I hear anyway, a lot of the yeah. time. Yeah. And I think all of that is based on the premise, like you said earlier, that affirmation is the only option. Yeah. So like, well, if we have to sterilize these kids, we better freeze their eggs. Like that's yeah. kind of the thinking. And so I think yeah. our whole book and all of our work is geared around well, we've now talked with hundreds and hundreds of families. Yeah. There are lots of different strategies that families can use that are loving, that are engaged, yeah. that are staying connected, that are encouraging their kids to be autonomous and expansive and all of these things. So it's not an either or at all. Yeah. And we really wanted to kind of give readers of this book the opportunity to expand the way they're thinking about it. What can we do? So we, we go into yeah. the, oh yeah, go ahead. Straight information, phalloplasty, yeah. this is what it is. There are surgical complications. There are other options. This is what it is. You know, mm-hmm. breast, mm-hmm. you know, mastectomy. This is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, so it's a kind of, there you go. There's the straight. We're not, why mess around with these facts? It's really important to know any yeah. sort of detail like that. Well, it's exactly. the premise of, of, of so-called informed consent. So I, I do think it's really important that people walk away feeling competent in the knowledge of what's going on. Yes. And that's a very notable feeling among parents of, I don't know what's going on. I literally yeah. don't know what's going on here. I, I don't know. All I know is I'm frightened. Yeah, yeah. But that's what I, I find from parents. Yeah, and I mean, that that is especially poignant, especially in the next chapter, which is about schools, therapists, oh, yeah. universities. Because, you know, I think sometimes within the home, parents may feel like, well, you know, 
we, we, we're kind of on the same page about what to do. You know, we, we haven't used the new names and pronouns. We've been spending a lot of time together. Like sometimes it feels manageable within the home, but then the second your child is out of the home and in the care of schools or in the care of the new therapist or whatever, you may feel as though your, your parental strategy has been undermined. So we go into that in chapter seven, really explaining and offering some sample dialogue, right? Yeah, like how can you talk really, with the school? Yeah. Um, and we think that that's going to be very, very helpful. And again, practical um, in a non-adversarial way, but in a way that's still confident and assertive. And when people read, I believe, when people read in a book, well, here's the options. I think there'll be a feeling of, okay, so loads of parents are dealing with this and these are the things that we can do. There's some sort of strength in in knowing that I do think when COVID came along and suddenly all the therapists moved to Zoom, I yeah. noticed among the parents I worked with, I noticed so many of them saying, well, I accidentally heard the, the therapist and they were using another name and they were affirming and they had told me they weren't. And when we, you know, it suddenly emerged quite quickly that there was an awful lot of really inappropriate stuff going on in therapy rooms. Well, it I shouldn't say it suddenly, but it emerged very definitively during COVID mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that parents suddenly thought I, things are not going well and adults in my child's life are using names that I have said not to and pronouns that I have said not to and my authority is utterly undermined and I didn't know it. Yeah. That's very frightening. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I th- I think... Even beyond just the names and pronouns, yeah, I think yeah. the content of what's happening in these therapy sessions or at school yeah. can make a big difference. I mean, I think there may be a difference between, you know, a teacher, let's say, who your child comes out to and asks for a new name and the teacher says, all right, Aiden, did you finish your math homework? Let's get back to the subject material. Like, that's one thing. But mm-hmm. then what happens if your, you know, teacher is actually like oh you're so brave you're my hero Mm, i think it's so amazing that you're being your authentic self so maybe if this is a coping strategy that the child is using it becomes kind of accentuated as something very powerful and so you know we talk about those kinds of dynamics too and what's appropriate for parents to do in in different situations and also like not to think that just because a name is being used some parents think oh my god they're the the devil right and that's not necessarily true exactly exactly yeah yeah as usual it's a balancing act i'm very fond of the chapter about family styles and family dynamics Yes. It's very close to my heart because I think we all of us families, we have our styles. We, we fall into our dynamics. We just do. And yeah. it is we always benefit from just looking at them, just just being aware of them. It's, you don't yeah. have to change them, but you do need to be aware of them so yeah. that you can when distress comes to the family, you can think, OK, these are our weaknesses, just like I right. have weaknesses in my personality and if a tragedy happened to me today or I'm not saying this tragedy but you know if something big Mm -hmm, happens mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I will respond in certain ways I need to know Mm -hmm. those ways and that's why I think that 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 chapter really hits the nail on the head on that one yeah it's it's a good one because we go through you know various parenting dynamics and we talk about Diane Baumrind and she's a very well-known psychologist who studied you know, parenting styles and the way parents attach and the way they offer structure. And then we also go into some of the gender specific complicated dynamics that happen when a kid comes out as trans or when parents feel like they're in a paralysis mode or what happens with the younger siblings in the home or what happens if you are divorced and you're ex-husband or wife wants to affirm and you want to slow down so we talk about all of these kind of specific scenarios that i think are very common and very tricky um Mm. extended family like grandparents uncles and aunts so we talk about a lot of different messy and 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 complicated things that can happen within a family and there's there's certain style every you know family has styles and every family has dynamics and I I have I have only anecdotal. All of us have only got anecdotal. There is no strong evidence base around mm. any of this. It's also new, but the the chapter on managing conflict with your child, I think it wouldn't be out of bounds to say a lot of parents of RGD kids seem to be cl- conflict averse. They seem to 
be uneasy around conflict. And mm. I think that's interesting. I'm not sure. I'm only going on my own intuition and my own experience, clinical experience working with them. But enough for me to think it seems to be a common theme. And mm. managing conflict when you're conflict averse is draining. It's so yeah. difficult. It's like yeah. it's such a horribly difficult thing to do is I've got yeah. conflict and I hate dealing with conflict. I freeze, yeah. I avoid, I appease, I do anything. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what yeah. I mean? So that chapter could end up being one of the most important chapters because it could be like, I need to start managing mm. conflict mm-hmm. and I have mm-hmm. avoided. So many people have said to me like, you know, how do we you know, manage the tech without a fight? Or how do we manage pronouns without a fight? Or how do we, and I'm like, oh, oh no, the fight will be there. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, I think that's that's such a good point and there's different types of conflict. It's almost like, you know, pick your battles carefully. Yeah. Like you don't want to get into a conflict debating some sort of a political topic. But if yeah. your child is good point. is really in in a risky, unhealthy, dangerous situation with their tech use, for example, that's a hill that's worth fighting that battle or whatever. Like yeah. you pick that battle because it's not you know, their child is not in a place where they're well. You know, if your child is sick and they're yeah. not doing well, you need to really be willing to tolerate some conflict so you can help your child. And I think a lot of parents sometimes, and I don't know whether it's from, you know, our podcast, all the writing and all that. Some, not, I shouldn't say a lot, but some parents have ran with the ball and they, they think, they kind of think sometimes that the messages don't have fights when we have said, don't hit them over the head with research. Right, right. Uh, it it right. kind totally of got different. Yeah, it kind of got misheard as don't don't challenge them. It's like, oh, no, you can challenge them about a few things. But it's yes. the kind of my research versus your research is specifically right. what we say. Not sure that really. And that's the one people are most co- comfortable in that's the one they will that's the one it's, isn't it interesting i suppose it's the intellectual nature of so many of these families and kids yeah these are really for the most part i mean maybe this is also a sample bias of like who contacts totally. therapists like us but totally. these are intellectual very intelligent um there are people who read a lot people who think a lot people who care about these ideas yeah. so yes it's very easy to get into like a debate with your child about that yeah and in the appendix another one of the appendix we have about the comorbidities and mm. you know obviously there's a lot of coexisting conditions related to gender and i often think we don't know the generational scenario with these with these mm-hmm. conditions you know we don't know how many parents of of parents with ADHD who have kids or parents with yeah. autism who have gender kids we haven't got we don't have any of the evidence but that those studies will be interesting because yeah. this could be autism in two generations in three generations and this could be you know something that does need to be kind of addressed there's yeah. so much, isn't there? There's so much. Well, I want to make sure to at least be able to highlight the rest of the chapters oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. our last time. So so we talked about managing conflict. Then there's a chapter about self-care for parents because yeah. this is so huge. A lot of parents, this is the, the moment in their life when everything changes and they kind of lose their sense of self completely. Yeah they become in crisis mode, maybe because their child is starting a medical process or there's become a huge damage to the relationship and it's heartbreaking. I mean, there's so many reasons. This can be devastating for parents. So we have yeah. a chapter dedicated to describing how they may be feeling, some of the common experiences and the importance of taking care of one's needs, taking care of oneself. Yeah. So many parents have said to me that they've never felt so bad about themselves. Parents have talked about suicide. Ter- parents have talked about really mm-hmm. dark nights of the soul, really dark mm-hmm. places. Parents have mm-hmm. gone. And I think once we lift it, the taboo is kind of lifted for a moment and they, they come in in their droves saying, I, I can't believe 
how low I got in myself about this. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's very important that parents think if I'm to if I'm to get through this, I need to look after myself. And if I'm to get yeah. my kid through this, I need to look after myself. Yeah. All roads lead to I need to look after myself. Yeah. And so that's why we had an entire chapter dedicated to self-care. Yes. Parents yes. need to kind of self-care. The, 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 the chapter on alienation and estrangement was very necessary and very sad. I think yeah. a lot of parents feel incredibly alienated and there's an awful lot of estrangement in this world. Yes, oftentimes initiated by the young person, which is heartbreaking. Um, but a lot of parents are in this kind of new space where the relationship they had with their child or thought they had is gone. And they have to figure out how to manage the new, the new phase of their life. Um, we don't necessarily know what will happen for those families. Sometimes the young person will return. Sometimes they won't, but we, we, we had to dedicate a chapter to talking about this very heartbreaking and complicated experience. Um, then we have a chapter each on desistance and detransition. This is very important for parents to understand, not only because it might shed light on the struggles of their, their child, but also because sometimes parents are kind of in a holding pattern with the young person, whether it's an older teen or a young adult, that it doesn't seem like they're moving towards medicalization, but they're not sure if they're desisting. Or in some cases, a young person has started a medical process, but the parent can tell, or maybe they've shared with the parent that they're stopping. And so parents want to know, well, how do I support my child who might be desisting or who might be detransitioning? And, you know, there are going to be parents also coming to this book uh, which we have more about this later, but who supported their child's transition oh, yes. and maybe now only once the child starts a detransition is kind of considering the decisions they made or why they made those decisions and they want to know how to support their child. So we, we recognize that not everyone who picks up this book would have been a skeptic from day one. There yeah. are going to be people who read this book who due to the information they had at the time really believed that supporting their child mm -hmm. was the best decision, but maybe they found that, you know, things didn't make perfect sense or the promises were not really lived up to or whatever. So yeah. those I are do, the chapters on desistance yeah. and detransition. I do think that parents of desisters and parents of detransitioners are often the most exhausted of an exhausted group. Yes. <laughs> They're the ones who think I cannot get the reserves of energy for this it's just like i am empty do, do you know what i mean whether it's desistance or detransition both they just seem to feel like i've been in it so long and i'm so exhausted and yeah. here's another major event be it desistance or detransition both come mm -hmm. with huge complicating factors an extreme level of energy emotional energy is required and I, I think it's kind of, I, I hope those chapters help because I really do. Whenever parents tell me, and I think my child is d desisting or and my child is detransitioning, I think oh, they just, after getting through so lot much, it's like, and yeah. now we have this mountain to get up. Yes, yeah. And it's th huge. That's a, it's huge. Yeah, and I think it's, it's a good point because I think a lot of parents whose kids are just coming out or just started questioning their identity, in their mind, they might think, oh, if only all I was dealing with was desistance or detransition. And I completely yeah, understand why they think. think that. But but it is a different type of mountain to climb. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of reconciliation and pain and guilt and self-blame and self-distrust that a detransitioner or desister goes through. So there's so much there. It's, 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 it's such a huge topic. Just to make an analogy... Um, you know, so many people who would have been, you know, who would be married to or a, a relative of, let's say, somebody who's a, an addict, sobriety can be more exhausting. The, the, the first, the beginning of sobriety can be utterly exhausting. Mm -hmm. It's often the hardest part for the loved ones. They just think it's 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 taking more out of me. It's asking more from me and it's taking more out of me. So. There are analogies in other in other places that you could. But the big yeah. one, how to roll back after affirmation. I think that's going to get that that chapter. 
I think is going to get more attention almost than any other chapter in the book because I think that as the years go by an yeah. awful lot of parents are going to say I affirmed and honestly I get why they did I've heard enough of them I've mm-hmm. spoken to them they yes. went to the professionals they sought the be- the best advice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they had the humility to presume that the professional knew better than they did because yeah. that's what they yeah they were taught in life if you follow me yes yes that is just a really difficult yeah. position. Yeah, so we try to be very chapter, practical mm-hmm, in that chapter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sorry, we try to be practical. No, it's okay. But but we also kind of um, outline a family story again to kind of humanize. Just like you said, why would somebody affirm their child? And we we dealt a lot with guilt, and we dealt a lot with courage and the incredible courage it takes to correct course because it's not easy especially if you've read an entire book basically sharing the perspective that we don't think affirming and transitioning young people is the best idea and then you get to the chapter about rowing back and you think oh god I've, i've done a lot of these things from this book and i knew it that's why i'm reading this so we we try to deal in a very compassionate way with families who have been through this experience and again offer very practical advice. I mean, in the chapter, there's even advice about, you know, and you know this from running um, Beyond Trans, very few endocrinologists or physicians can tell you much about detransition. But we offer some practical tips in that chapter about other types of physicians who are experienced in endocrinology, experienced in hormonal recovery, and how you can think outside the box to find medical support, psychological support. So there, there's a lot of practical advice in there that really thinks beyond like the typical advice you hear totally. from, from people. So I'm very excited about that chapter. And I've, I've heard, you know, detransitioners talk about how they ended up in places where people were sick for other reasons, like, you know, right. and they had low testosterone or they had no testosterone mm-hmm. as a result of their sickness. And that's where they found the information that they needed to know. You, you know yeah. what I mean? So there is information out there, but you've got to leave behind the the, the gender world in many ways. And yes. then the lovely last chapter, which is, it, in a nutshell, it's not really about gender. Yeah, that's the name yeah. of our last chapter. So here we invite readers to really think about, yeah, you know, in in the throes of a medical scandal, how can we expand our thinking about what's going on, about our family, about what we can learn from this experience, about how we can grow as a parent, as a person, as someone's mom, as someone's dad. And we really, um, we, we hope that we can leave readers with a sense of, you know, future, forward-looking, a vision, hope, um and some some you know positive outcomes some positive possibilities for what lies ahead for their life and their family's life and uh, you know because it's such a consuming subject it's so compelling obviously we're doing a (laughs) podcast about it forever and written a book and you can think it's all about gender you can fall into thinking it's all about gender and it's only when you take your head out with a straight mm. sentence that actually it's not really about gender. It's something is driving the gender. Yeah. And it's worth thinking about that because it can really help help everybody when you or when you understand gender is just the, the, the kind of the calling card. That's right. You know, yeah. There, there's something behind it and it's worth it's worth giving time to it. And then at the, at the end of the book as well, we kind of we're trying to be very practical. We know so many parents are just so seeking kind of help. So we give mm-hmm. lists of resources. We give a glossary for just some of the not it's not exhaustive, but just to kind of it's worth learning this jargon. Just learn the few words at the end, the glossary. Have a look at the resources. Some of the resources are going to be very, very helpful for people yes. because it's it's naming very specific, not exhaustive, not trying to name everything, but certainly giving a good outline of there is a lot of organizations out there. There are a lot of resources out there that might help you. It's not the end of the line. 
it's a huge right. world. Our world is now huge and it didn't right. used to be, which is Yeah, great, that's I'm right. Glad. Yeah, and I mean, I think to go along with the, the aim of making this a practical book, you know, like if we say somewhere within the book or the chapters, you know, consider reading a book about puberty oh, yeah. with your eight-year-old. Yeah. That they might say, well, which books don't include stuff about gender identity? Yeah. So we have that list in the back of the book. So we yeah. tried to make it as comprehensive as possible. Granted, I mean, through the editing process, we recognize this starkly. Things change so fast. <laughs> Organizations come and go. The You know, all of the changes in the UK with the cast review, so much is changing so wow. fast. So there's a limitation on how relevant all of our resources necessarily can be, especially if this book is a guidebook parents will use for, you know, decades to decades. come. Decades. But but we did the best with the very fast moving landscape that we find ourselves in. Yeah. And I suppose it gives heart to people. Like when you see the lists of resources, you think, yes. oh my God, there is way more. Sometimes people think there's nothing. There's our podcast right. and there's a couple of other little th- and there is there's an awful lot out there. Yeah, there really yeah. is. So it, it does feel like this book is part of this new movement where we've mm-hmm. come of age and now we've got books out. We've got we've got a, a serious kind of body of literature now to yeah. refer to, thankfully, yeah, sure. because a few yes. years ago, God, it, yeah, it was, it was tiny. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that's um, our book. Yeah, we're very excited to share it with everybody. And um, we, we imagine that lots of people will find this very interesting. I mean, in addition to parents, of course, that's the main audience. I think therapists will probably get a lot out of this book. Yeah. I think anybody who's kind of that's um, true. maybe working in a school, since there's so much information about that. So we are we are hoping that it is useful and practical and... Um, offers a compassionate but different way to think about gender and kids' identities. Yeah, and I, lo- I love the idea of parents having, there's something I find in life reassuring about having a book that's guiding you. I, yes. It's made a huge difference in my life over the years, just the book. What does the book say about that? And yeah. <laughs> Let's just check out the book. It really yeah. can make a real difference of there's a book upstairs beside your bed that has thought about all of this. Yeah. And we've really given our brains to it. We've we've obviously eat, slept and thought about gender for a long time now. And yeah. this is it. This is it yeah. in a nutshell. And I really, really hope it's as helpful as I think it will be. And if it is yeah. as helpful as I think it will be, I think it'll be a game changer for many, many parents. And I think it'll be something that will be a comfort to parents when yeah. they need I it. I hope so. I yeah. hope so too. And I mean, something else that I, I want to say really quickly about it is you know, there's there's a way in which parents have been treated really badly yeah. by all of these hyper-affirmative institutions and movements. And yet, we didn't want to be reflexive in just telling parents exactly what they want to hear, even if it doesn't line up with our clinical experience. You know, like we tried to be, as you said earlier, as honest as possible, just like, for example, with the conflict avoidance, right? Like, yeah. Yes, there is this cultural phenomenon sweeping up a lot of young people. That's true. And at the same time, there are improvements that could be made in a lot of family dynamics to better support your kid moving forward. So we didn't want to make anybody out to be just only a victim or just only a perpetrator. We tried to tell the true story. There's always something to work on. There's always something that can be... Um, validated and also improved so we hope that this feels kind of true to parents as well yeah yeah i think i think an awful lot of parents have been so embattled and felt so so treated so badly that um they can forget that no 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 it's fine all all of us parents could work on all sorts of things when hurt Mm -hmm. hits the family that's right you can always it's not it's not blaming it's not anything it's just saying oh try this or try that you know what i mean you've got you've come unstuck on this level you know these are things that might help while when you feel that you've been treated so badly and blamed so badly you can forget that there are things that can help you 
yes, but that's, that's what we right. try to do yeah that's what we try yeah. to do in the book well i think this is a good place to leave it and, yeah um, we hope people enjoy it yeah and we'll be very interested in feedback and please everything that parents please. yeah yeah thanks for joining us this week on gender a wider lens Listener support means a lot to us. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more information, visit widerlenspod.com. There you'll learn about joining our listener community, how to contribute to our show, and where to find us on social media. Our discussions are for educational purposes and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services.